0: Welcome to Five Books for Catholics, an expert selects and explains five outstanding books in some aspect of Catholic life, doctrine or culture. It is difficult to underestimate Josef Ratzinger's influence within the Church over the last 60 years. During the Second Vatican Council, he made an important contribution as a theological expert, or peritus to the dogmatic constitution on divine revelation, Dei Verbum. He emerged from the council as a leading Catholic theolog- theologian and in 1972 helped found the journal Communio. In 1977, he was appointed Archbishop of Munich and Freising and a cardinal. Five years later, St. John Paul II appointed him Prefect for the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. For over 25 years, Cardinal Ratzinger assisted the pontiff in issuing important doctrinal documents, drafting encyclicals and overseeing the preparation of the magnificent Catechism of the Catholic Church. Finally, he was elected Bishop of Rome and exercised the Petrine Ministry until his resignation in 2013. On this first anniversary of Benedict XVI's death, Professor Tracy Rowland selects and discusses five of his books. Professor Tracy Rowland holds the St. John Paul II Chair of Theology at the University of Notre Dame, Australia. In 2001, she was appointed the Dean of the John Paul II Institute for Marriage and Family in Melbourne, a position she held until 2017. She is a member of the editorial board of Communio, International Catholic Review and was appointed to the 9th International Theological Commission in 2014. In 2009, she was awarded the Archbishop Michael J. Miller Award for the promotion of faith and culture by the University of St. Thomas in Houston. And in 2010, she was awarded the Officer's Cross of the Order of Merit of the Republic of Poland. In 2020, she won the Ratzinger Prize for Theology. In 2023, she was appointed to the Pontifical Academy of the Social Sciences. Her books include Culture under the Thomas Tradition, Ratzinger's Faith, The Theology of Benedict XVI, Benedict XVI, A Guide for the Perplexed, Catholic Theology, The Culture of the Incarnation, Essays in Catholic Theology, Portraits of Spiritual Nobility, and Beyond Kant and Nietzsche, The Munich Defense of Christian Humanism. She has published over 150 articles and is the English sub-editor of the forthcoming multilingual Ratzinger lexicon. Why should Catholics read the writings of Joseph Ratzinger?
1: Well, well, I think that uh, Ratzinger is like the Cardinal Newman of the 20th century. I think he, he will be regarded in future as... Uh, you know, a great theologian, even a doctor of the church. And unlike many other theologians, he's actually easy to read. You know, so long as one is a practising Catholic and has a basic grasp of the faith, most of his books are understandable. I mean, some of them, there are exceptions, but I think that uh, most, most of his books are accessible to any Catholic who's had let's say a basic undergraduate university education. And I also think that that Ratzinger is valuable because he didn't create his own original theological system. Uh, What he did was to look at what might be described as uh, pastoral crises or intellectual crises in the life of the contemporary church and then he wrote articles and books addressing those crises. So uh, his work is is very relevant to to all the kinds of issues we're dealing with today.
0: You've written extensively on Joseph Ratzinger, later Pope Benedict XVI. What drew you to study his writings?
1: Um, well, I was. Uh, I think I was like a lot of a lot of people of my generation. I'm the immediate post-Vatican II generation. So when I went to school, uh, I still had uh, some teachers who were more in a pre-conciliar mode. I had other teachers who were uh, typical sort of 1960s style teachers, and 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 so I saw, I guess both both cultures, both the pre-Vatican II culture and the immediate late 1960s, early 1970s uh, ecclesial culture. And I, I could see the tensions and uh, uh, I think as a, as a child at school I was, I was very academically inclined and I didn't like the transition from uh, the presentation of the faith in a way that was very intellectual to the precise opposite of that, which in the 1970s meant uh, at school we would be put into small groups and we'd hold hands around candles and talk about our feelings. You know, we're sort of sort of from one extreme to the other, from a from a dry intellectualism, which I could cope with, which wasn't everybody's um, cup of tea, which wasn't a suitable pedagogical style for everyone. Uh, to the absolute opposite of that, which was something completely emotional and devoid of any kind of intellectual rigour. So uh, I then, when I was an undergraduate at university, I discovered Joseph Ratzinger's book, um, what was called The Ratzinger Report, and it was simply an interview with Cardinal Ratzinger about issues in the life of the church. And I can remember reading that book when it first came out in 1985 and thinking, I agree with this fellow, you know, I, I like everything he says. Um, uh, I think he, you know, he he understands um, the issues. He's not opposed to Vatican II, but he understands that there have been some problematic pastoral experiments which have followed the Second Vatican Council. And I was like one of the guinea pigs in those pastoral experiments. And so I, I really liked his work. And then uh, when I went to Cambridge to do my doctorate, I was interested in the the issue of culture and and moral formation. And the philosopher Alastair MacIntyre had written a lot of material about this, uh, but MacIntyre is a Catholic. He wasn't always, he was a Marxist at one stage, but he is now a Catholic. So to write on a Catholic philosopher, I found I had to actually go into the divinity school at Cambridge because I wasn't allowed to write on a Catholic philosopher in any positive way in one of the general humanities departments. So I ended up in the divinity school and so I ended up looking at the theology of culture and I went to Joseph Ratzinger and to Henri de Lubach um, to get ideas from their work. On the theology of culture, so I could kind of synthesize a Catholic theology of culture with a Catholic philosophy of culture. So that that became my my doctoral project.
0: In your book, Ratzinger's faith, you one of your one of the issues you broach is whether there's a continuity mm-hmm. in his thought, because sometimes he's criticised for breaking with his early alleged liberal tendencies and becoming conservative Mm. Mm. after the council, especially during 68. Mm -hmm. Do you share that view? What's your position?
1: Um, No, I don't share the view that he changed his theological spots. Uh, The person who really promoted that view strongly was Hans Kuhn. And Hans Kung actually went further and said that um, Ratzinger sort of had a breakdown in 1968. Uh, he was then, in 1968, Ratzinger was at the University of Tubingen, which was the centre of a lot of the student protests in Germany. And uh, his lect well not only his lectures, but um, the, the theology faculty was picketed by students uh, claiming that Jesus Christ was a sadomasochist, you know, uh, mm-hmm. someone who enjoyed being persecuted and you know, crazy, crazy stuff. And and Kung's, Kung's narrative, so to speak, was that Joseph Ratzinger found that so distressing um, that he, he changed his theological position. But I argue, and more importantly, um, People who were students of Joseph Ratzinger's in the 1960s argue that he never really changed his spots, that he was always uh, interested in the patristic um, scholars, particularly St Augustine. And in the early 1960s, that made him a little bit of a radical because he wasn't into scholasticism. Uh, his prefect of studies at his seminary said that scholasticism wasn't Ratzinger's beer. It didn't mean that he was you know, intellectually opposed to certain things that had been said by the scholastics. And in fact, um, he was quite strongly influenced by St Bonaventure in many ways. And he strongly affirmed St Thomas Aquinas' interest in truth. So it's not so much that he was opposed to, to scholastic ideas or doctrines, but he liked the patristic approach much more. It was less conceptual, uh, more scriptural, or at least more overtly scriptural, of course, that the medievals were also intensely interested in scripture. But he, he liked an approach which was... Um, more personal and he was influenced by the personalist philosophers so uh, he wasn't you know a typical 1950s neo-thomist or otherwise neo-scholastic that made him look a bit radical Uh, at the second vatican council uh, he was a young puriti a young puritus, a young theological advisor to cardinal frings and he often came up with ideas that were not out of that typically pre-conciliar neo-scholastic framework but then um, in in the late 1960s what happens is that there is a split among the theological advisors of the council and that split becomes very apparent Uh, in 1970, when there's a Congress in Brussels. And it becomes clear that these people who had been the leading theological advisors at the Council were not all on the same theological page. And Ratzinger uh, and Henri de Lubach and Hans Urs von Balthasar, who hadn't been at the Council but who uh, was a part of the, the de Lubach Circle, That trio form their own journal Uh, in 1972. It becomes known as the Communio Journal, and it takes a very different interpretation of the meaning of the Second Vatican Council from the Concilium Journal, which uh, was supported by some of the other Pariti from the Council. So there's this early 1970s split between those theological advisors. And Ratzinger says, you know, I never changed my position. Um, it was just that in the late 1960s some of the other Pariti changed their positions and became uh, very interested in contemporary social theory. And I think that the, the major division between them was over the issue of what philosophy or what what, what is the intellectual partner for theology. As Catholics, we agree that uh, theology is about the integration of faith and reason. Um, So when it comes to reason, how do we understand reason? And I think what happens in the 1970s, uh, in particular in Germany and in the Netherlands, uh, and in Belgium, of course, uh, there is a movement among the Catholic scholars to take a serious interest in social theory and in particular the so-called critical theory of the frankfurt school of social theory which was then dominant in germany and to try and work with that as a partner for theology and i think that is a major cause of the cleavage Um, not not ratzinger you know sort of suddenly becoming terribly conservative or, you know, terribly emotionally distressed about student protesters.
0: Um, You've already mentioned some of the other theologians, main theologians of the period, and how Ratzinger wasn't, unlike some of them, a system builder. Um, His contribution is harder to pin down than that of some of the others. For example, if we think of Nullabak, He's known for his retrieval of the patristic and medieval tradition Mm. regarding grace, eucharistic ecclesiology, the spiritual sense of scripture. Mm. Uh, Von Balthasar is known for his theological aesthetics, or Louis Mm. Bouillet for his writings on the liturgy and the paschal mystery. Is there a central theme in Matzinger's theological output?
1: I would argue that it's fundamental theology. Um, in, In other words, that Uh, If one reads his collected works, what one can do is to piece together um, what Joseph Ratzinger would regard as... But I, I would say that at the moment in the life of the church, fundamental theology is in a state of flux. There's no common agreement among the theologians about the basic principles of how do we relate nature to grace, how do we relate faith to reason, how do we relate history to ontology, Um, what is the understanding of the relationship between the Petrine office and the Episcopacy. All of these fundamental principles of the faith are in a state of flux. And I think what is the core of Ratzinger's work is Ratzinger's view on what the fundamental principles should be. And that also includes um, his understanding of the basic principles of scriptural interpretation, because that is also in a state of flux.
0: Ratzinger's personal work, sorry, his introduction to Christianity, Mm. Introduction to the Spirit of the Liturgy and the Three-Volume Jesus of Nazareth. Mm. You've not included any of these in your list. Why have you selected some of these less well-known works, which mm. are collections of occasional writings?
1: Uh, yes. Well, when it comes to uh, the Introduction to Christianity, I I think that's a magnificent book, and it and, you know it was translated into I think 14 different languages. But I. I wasn't quite sure of, you know, your audience, but I thought uh, if you have like a general Catholic audience, then this Introduction to Christianity is, um, it's a book which I think is not an introduction. <laughs> I think it's a defense of Christianity. It's a defense of creed or Christianity uh, to the german intelligentsia of the late 1960s it it really look. It, it's really trying to answer many of the attacks on christianity that were that, that stemmed from german philosophy in in the period of the nine of really the first half of the the 20th century reaching back uh, re- to the enlightenment in the 18th century or so-called enlightenment in the 18th century so i think while it's a great book Uh, It requires a rudimentary familiarity with the last 200 years of German philosophy, and without that, it could be a bit daunting as as the first of Ratzinger's books to read. On the other hand, um, I think that the trilogy um, is magnificent, the the books he wrote on Jesus of Nazareth uh, when he was, was Pope, and I think that they are very accessible and often I say to people, um, if you haven't read any Rat Singer, start with, with those, those books, because everyone I know who has read them has come away saying, I felt that my faith was so much deeper. You know, I really, I read those books and felt as though I understood Christ so much better, and I understood the Christian faith so much better. And I've even heard of people who were agnostics reading those books and being converted to Christianity. Uh, so they I would I would strongly recommend them. I didn't put them on my list just because I thought, well, a discussion about them becomes a discussion about his interpretation of different passages of scripture. And I thought that's probably not good for one of these. Conversations because we could just get bogged down with you know how do we know there was an ox and an ass at the crib or something and and so I um, yeah so I didn't put them on the list but but I would strongly recommend them I think I think they are great great books.
0: The first book you've chosen is Faith and Politics, mm-hmm. a collection of addresses and writing from Josef Ratzinger's. Uh, from the early 60s to the year of his abdication as Bishop of Rome. Mm. Why have you started with his writings on the relation between faith and politics?
1: Um, Well, I think that at the moment we're we're in a situation, geopolitically, where a a big problem is that we are starting to worship the state. You know, one of Ratzinger's big points in this area is that uh, a great achievement of Christianity was that it de deified the state uh, after 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 the Incarnation after Christianity starts to become influential within the Roman Empire um, people start to think that the state is not the highest good it is it is an important institution but it's not the highest good we don't worship the state and that, that, you know, Ratzinger sees that as a huge achievement of Christian civilization. But at the moment, because of the, you know, the current crisis within Christianity worldwide, uh, what is now happening is that people are starting to treat politics as a religion. And many people, you know, are really treating the state as a kind of highest good, and you know, we saw that during the pandemic, uh, where where politicians were sort of treated like religious figures, and everyone—well, not everyone, but many people—were looking to the state um, to you know save them from this this uh, virus. And it's not only the pan—it's not only that issue. But I think that issue highlighted the problem, but I think in general. Um, when we when we talk about the problem of contemporary political correctness, what we're looking at is the fact that many people have lost a belief in truth. And instead of truth, they are accepting uh, ideologies that have a Marxist pedigree. And all the Marx, all the idea, all the social theories that derive from Marxism begin with this problematic relationship with truth which is one of ratzinger's big points ratzinger in fact says the primary problem with marxism is not that it's atheistic but that it's hostile to truth and then the 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 atheism he sees as another problem but if you read what he says about marx uh, more ink is spilt on the problem of marx's opposition to truth to objective truth so i think that in, in terms of, you know, current cultural issues, uh, current social issues, Ratzinger's works on faith and politics are just, you know, so helpful to read because they help to explain why, you know, we have mobs sort of not thinking, uh, acting irrationally um, and, you know, why why we have this problem where where we no longer think that individuals are responsible for actions. We start to think that groups and classes or colored peoples of certain color are to be held responsible for social problems. And, And all of those sort of contemporary political and social issues one can find Ratzinger discussing in the faith and politics collection of essays. And just one, for example, I will mention is he, in his analysis of, of Pontius Pilate's behaviour, he says, you know, Pilate did not think that that Christ uh, was a problem, in in the sense of uh, of. Um,
0: he, a threat he to the Roman Empire.
1: He, he didn't think that 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 uh, Christ was a threat to the Roman Empire, but he did think that unless he allowed Christ to be condemned that uh, some of the, the leaders, some of the, the, the Jewish leaders, uh, especially the Sadducees, would um, you know w- would create political trouble for him. And, and so he ends up agreeing to uh, the condemnation of Christ, the crucifixion of Christ, although he washes his hands. but he, he sort of allows things to unfold as they did, because his highest good, was not truth, but public tranquillity. He didn't want public unrest. Um, and, and so today we have a similar thing happening where truth is sacrificed on the altar of public harmony. You know? So if you look at the, the philosophy of John Rawls, uh, he talks about how we want um, politics uh, to be something that, that has nothing to do with truth. You know, nothing to do with metaphysics. Um, just just some way of of uh, keeping keeping civil peace at all costs. So there's a kind of analogy between some of the leading jurisprudential ideas of today and what Pontius Pilate was thinking. So that, that's just one example. But uh, I think I think that uh, you know Ratzinger's work in this space is very helpful for people who are struggling with. Um, contemporary
0: ideological issues. And with um, the second book you've rec- recommended, turn from Politics to a Collection of Ratzinger's Writings on Liturgy, mm-hmm. A New Song for the Lord, Faith in Christ mm. and Liturgy Today, which was published originally in German in 1994. Mm-hmm. It focuses on the rootedness of the liturgy in Christ. Mm. And for Ratzinger, the liturgy should come first in the life of the church because this guarantees that God is first. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he even declared that the liturgy was the centre of his theological efforts. Mm -hmm. The liturgy is a central theme in his writings. What makes this book representative of his reflections on the liturgy? Mm
1: -hmm. I think that, that this book is very accessible for a general Catholic audience because In many of the essays, he actually deals with uh, concrete issues. Uh, So he's the the general theory he offers is that liturgy must be theocentric, not anthropocentric. It must be focused on the worship of God, not, say, the celebration of the parish community. One of his great lines is that uh, there's always been a link between the parish and the inn, we would say in English, the parish and the pub, or the parish and the cafe. Um, But he he says that what happens at mass uh, must be about worship of God, not the celebration of the local community. That happens at the pub after mass. Um, So he's he's critical of uh, a number of sort of fashionable ideas in the liturgical theology space uh, that that followed the introduction of the new Missal in 1969. And he he explains that, I think, in in a way that's very concrete. And um, I think that people who have been through these kinds of experiences in parishes where... All of a sudden, there have been major transformations in the way that the mass is celebrated, and they have found these transformations difficult. I think in those essays of Ratzinger, what you get is a very accessible analysis of what's problematic about some of these practices. I think for a lot of people, uh, there's an intuitive understanding that this isn't right but they can't really articulate in theological terms what's, what's, what the problem is.
0: Thank you for listening. To read or listen to the rest of this interview and gain full access to our archive, visit fivebooksforcatholics.com and become a premium subscriber. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and give it a top rating on the platform of your choice. That way more people can discover it. You can also support the podcast and help us produce more interviews like this one by making a one-off donation via the link given in the show notes. As little as one dollar, one pound or one euro can help and will be greatly appreciated. Thank you once again and God bless.